Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, it's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend Ben Straub, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and How to Confront Those Fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I am really excited to be sitting down today with Gabe Cooper, the CEO of Virtuous Software. He's also the host of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast and author of the book, Responsive Fundraising. Gabe, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Hey, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today about this idea of yours around responsive fundraising. But before we get into that, take a few minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, Virtuous Software. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, father of five kids, so it's a little bit rowdy at my house right now. And depending on when this podcast airs, uh, we are still definitely in COVID quarantine mode. And so that's kind of my mentality in the world right now. I've been around nonprofit tech and nonprofit fundraising for 15, 20 years, a long time. Virtuous is a marketing and CRM and online giving platform that's helping nonprofits raise more money and create more good in the world. And so really, we'll talk about responsive fundraising, but we really think of it as the responsive fundraisers growth platform. All right. So now I really want to get into this. It's interesting to me in your space, most of the the other firms that, that do CRM work never lead by saying they're a marketing company. When, as soon as you said that, my ears kind of perked up. I thought, okay, this is different already. Let's start with the, the basics. Tell us what responsive fundraising is and why nonprofits should want to do it. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. We think that the world that nonprofits fundraise in has fundamentally changed in the last 15 years, let's call it. Most of you and I, are, our communication from our favorite brands right now is hyper-personalized to us. So, you know, I'll go downstairs and because I watched, you know, Peaky Blinders on Netflix, Netflix is going to recommend two or three shows to me. My wife watched the new, you know, Anne of Green Gable show, whatever it's called. And so it's going to recommend Pride and Prejudice to her. Netflix knows everything about me. Spotify knows everything about me. Amazon knows everything about me. I guarantee you I have three push notifications and two emails asking me to buy clothes right now. And the guys wearing the clothes will be middle-aged and graying, just like me. It's every communication I get is hyper-personalized to me. That's the world we live on. It's, it's all based on our personal preferences, our tribe, our community, how we sort of identify ourselves. Unfortunately, nonprofits haven't kept up with this trend. So most nonprofits are still relying massively on, on primarily on sort of spray and pray marketing, which is let's blast everybody in our donor file with the same email newsletter or let's send everybody our November appeal. And the problem is it's, there's this growing gap now between donors that expect personalized connections, they expect to be known, 
they give because of what their friends are doing, right? And because we've always given relationally based on our friends, yet nonprofits are, are still doing largely impersonal sort of mass marketing. And so responsive fundraising is all about closing that gap. It's helping nonprofits use modern tactics and technology to connect with each donor personally, right? So based on, you know, the donor's preferences or passions or their giving capacity or largely based on their behavior. So if they, you know, send up particular signals in the digital world or attending an event or on social media, you should be able to listen to those and respond personally, just like Amazon does. And so that's what we're helping nonprofits do with responsive. So one of the things I was reading through the ebook that you all have on your website, and I noticed that you said in there that we've seen a 25% decrease in the number of low and mid-level donors over the last decade. Is that all about this issue of the disconnect between the consumer experience and the donor experience? Do you see that that's worse or better with any certain demographic or is it just bad across the board? <laughs> yeah, it's good. There's Nicholas Ellinger in his book and several others have laid out why they think this is happening. And so there's a lot of thoughts. I think nonprofits are, are quick to dismiss it as like, oh, the economy has changed or tax laws changed or something about DAFs, donor advice funds, or just these kind of, you know, pat responses. But the reality is this problem of us losing all of our low and mid-tier donors started really accelerating in about 2008, and it's been increasing every year since 2008. So there's two reasons we think it has a lot to do with how personal we're being with donors. One is you look at 2008, that's the year the iPhone was invented. So you have iPhone, Facebook, Twitter, hyper-personalized news feeds, platforms like Marketo for marketing automation. All of this personalization started happening in about 2008. So that's one thing. The other thing is you just look at the research, like guys like Adrian Sargent that research this stuff all the time say that donors stop giving because they're getting very impersonal messages that nonprofits aren't able to be transparent and close the loop with donors in a way that builds trust. And um, that sort of lack of trust and personalization, especially in a time when we're less trustful of institutions than we've ever been, it's, it creates this massive disconnect. So that's why we think that this, that growing sort of disappearing low and mid tier donor base is really about how personal we're being with donors. It, it sounds to me like, you know, as, as we're thinking about this, I, I question and I suspect that that some of the nonprofits that we both work with and others in the market, you know, would say, well, wait a minute, you know, we we've had tried and true things that have worked forever, right? And to just completely throw those out for a different model sounds really risky. You know, I don't think that's what you're suggesting, but talk a little bit about that because I think there are people who, when they hear the kind of concept you're talking about, get really concerned that that means you're throwing everything out that's worked before. So yeah, that's everybody's first reaction. And it's not really about the tactics as much as it's about a mindset. So people will hear this and they'll say, oh, you mean we should stop doing direct mail? Direct mail has always worked. No, don't stop doing direct mail. Gosh, do not stop doing direct mail, right? It's, it's amazing. And you're right, it's always worked. But I think the same nonprofits would say, number one, we've accepted something that's not okay. So you're, you're buying lists and you're doing direct mail acquisition or you're doing your monthly appeals. And it's like, yeah, you know, we got a 3% response rate. That's great. And we've just, you know, or 1.8% response rate. That's great. And we've just been calibrated to think 1.8% response rate is great because that's the best we could do because this is all that was ever available to us. And what we're saying is 
like Amazon's getting higher response rates because they're actually being personal in how they're sending stuff out. So we're not saying those things are fundamentally bad. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we think the idea of, of migrating in a sensible way to a more responsive approach is a good idea. So with direct mail, don't stop sending out your monthly appeals. But think about, are there personas, are there ways that you can segment direct mail that are based on what people are interested in and passionate about? Can you vary the gift ask to be more in line with their capacity for a percentage of your file? So new donors is a great example. So a lot of nonprofits don't send new donor welcome series very well, okay? Like if somebody gives you a gift for the first time, instead of just dropping them into sort of the sausage grinder of your next appeal, next appeal, next appeal, could you automate a welcome series that sent a piece of mail that's very personalized and emails very personalized and then prompted somebody on your team to give them a call? So multi-channel to onboard a donor. And just try something simple and watch the impact of that, right? It's not about throw everything out that's ever worked. But it's, it's an acknowledgement that the world these folks live in has changed. And, and as a nonprofit space, we have to keep up with that change. I love where you're going with this, and it makes total sense. I'm curious, and I think listeners would be curious. It sounds to me like the organization that would do this well has to be tracking and cataloging a lot more data than they might have in the past. Talk to us about what's required there and, and what kind of, to your point, what kind of uh, shift in thinking has to happen in order to make that effective. That's right. So, you know, kind of the, the framework of responsive is listen, connect, and suggest. And so as nonprofits, my, my joke that I always say is my grandma used to tell me God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, and we need to listen more than we talk. And I think that's particularly true with the nonprofit space. So listen well, and then connect personally, and then suggest the right next steps. So listening really is about how are you collecting data on your donors and how are you listening to the right signals? So there's a couple of things that make that possible. One is just, you have to have clean data and you have to make sure you're at least at the core when somebody gives a gift, you got to make sure you got gift attribution, right? You know what they, their motivation was when they gave, but then you have to start thinking about, well, now how can I layer in social media data? Like how can I look at people's, social feeds and their Twitter activity as a signal I can listen to. And how do I bring that into my donor management system? And then how do I listen? How do I pull in wealth data and real estate holdings? Then how do I look at somebody's geolocation? Meaning do they live around other donors that share their passions or interests? And so it really becomes a conversation. And then especially how do I layer in like their web activity, like what pages they're clicking on, what emails they're engaging with, how do I pull that into one central repository so I have all of the data points there that I need? And then the problem there is obviously, okay, so I figured that out. I have a big pile of data <laughs> that's all in one place. Great. It still doesn't change the fact that I only have two staff members that can do anything with this big pile of data. What's next? And really that's where the next one connect, which is primarily around marketing automation that comes in. But you're right, that data collection piece is not trivial, but it really comes down to how do you make sense of all of the donor signals you have available today, and how do you get them in one central repository that's actionable? You said something about stat. You said that, you know you only have two staff members, and yes, that's, that's true for so many organizations, but I wonder as we're talking about this, if there's another thing at play here, and I'm curious, like, to do this well, do you see that organizations need to make a whole-scale change 
in the kind of people that they're hiring? Or is this something that is truly simple enough at its core that anyone could learn it and apply it? There, I think there's two parts there. We, um, from our point of view, from a technology point of view, we believe that modern software should be simple, beautiful, and easy to use for anybody on your team. That's the expectation of modern consumers, even B2B software providers today think about a consumer, a beautiful consumer experience. And we haven't done that well as a nonprofit space at all. (laughs) So I think software should be easy enough to use. So even if you're not really into technology, you should still be able to get in and make a difference. I think where the rubber hits the road for nonprofits is just more of a mindset issue than it is a technology issue. So if you're, you know, if you're 65, really not into technology, but you're willing to change your mindset and think things could be done better and differently, we could treat donors like people, then you're great. But if you have people on your staff today that think, man, we're just going to ride this thing out, you know, doing the same thing we've been doing forever. We're fine seeing, you know, 5% declines in giving every year. I'm going to retire soon anyway. Then yes, like, yeah, you've got to have hard conversations. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know how else. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. We'll be right back with the rest of our interview. But first, a quick message from our sponsor, Newport One. Newport One believes you can change the world, and we want to help you do it. We help nonprofits maximize their impact, not their agency's profits. We'll guide you toward what's best for you, not just best practices. Newport One believes fundraising is a way of life, not just a business. We can change the world because we believe we are better together. Visit us at newportone.com or email us at freshideas at newportone.com. <laughs> you, know, you have to have a, that sort of mindset that, that thinks about growth and change in a meaningful way. So change is, I, I, I tend to run toward change. So it's, it's a little bit, you know, odd for me when I'm having conversations with people who, you know, feel like they're stuck and, and, you know, want to avoid change. But for some people, it's a really scary thing. Having done some things like this with other organizations, you know, one of the things that I've always found important is this, this sort of has to start in the C-suite, right? It, it can't be something that, you know, a, a junior level employee tries to bubble up and push everybody to do. Talk to us a little bit about what you've seen organizations do most successfully to lay the groundwork for bringing this kind of change about. Yeah, so I think you're right. You have to have a champion for it at the top level and you have to want to grow and want to change. And so there's just, you know, software is not gonna solve that for you, you know, or just a, a, a book or a, a ebook about a framework is not gonna change that for you. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that we've seen is actually when nonprofits commit to breaking down silos in their organization between program communication and fundraising. Mm-hmm. So some of our most successful organizations in innovating and changing quickly actually have everybody on the program team called donors monthly. And I know that sounds like such a silly thing, but what it does really quickly is it lines the whole organization up around the needs of a donor it creates a donor centric organization. So people on the program team are hearing why, what donors don't understand or why they're frustrated or where the gaps are. And all of a sudden, everybody in the organization from the top down is sort of advocating for the donor and advocating for change. And so I think that's one simple step other than you got to find a champion in the C-suite. I think breaking down those silos and getting program really close to the donor 
is really powerful. Yeah, totally agree. So I want to go back to something that, that I really appreciated in the, in the book that you have. One of the things that you, you talked about was that organizations that get really good at responsive fundraising have to be willing to embrace risk and to take chances and, and be willing to fail. You know, and, and one of the things, and you've been in this industry long enough, you, you've probably seen it as much or more than I have. I feel like there's often a stated willingness to take risk and to, to experience failure, but oftentimes it's, you know, the, the action that comes behind a failure doesn't reinforce that. In fact, it reinforces just the opposite. What have you seen organizations that are doing this well around this, this idea of risk and failure? What are they doing differently than the others? There's one, one person I've seen do it really well. There's, I think, several organizations like Hope International is one that does this really well, but there's one guy in particular that I saw just go crazy around this. And so they were, they started implementing a sprint approach. And so there's a book that's called Sprint about Google Sprints and it's doing, it's trying new things, innovating in these short two week cycles, just to see if you see if something sticks, you test it. If it doesn't stick, you iterate and you move to the next thing. So he implemented that almost like a startup accelerator in his nonprofit. And every time somebody failed, he literally got a cake and threw a party. (laughs) <laughs> and, and celebrated the failure, which sounds completely insane. But what he said is we learned, we learned something that doesn't work. We learned it really fast and really cheap. It was amazing. And so, I mean, he literally, not figuratively, literally celebrated failures because they learned, right? And so I think you have to sort of put your money where your mouth is and be willing to give up control and literally celebrate failures. It's so much better than the status quo. Yeah, I've never heard of somebody doing that, but I, I'm fascinated by that idea. It, it's a great way to show everyone that you really mean what yeah. you say around that, you know? So I, I think that's really powerful. One other thing that I wanted to get your take on, in the book, you talk about this, this concept of reactive posture versus proactive posture. Can you tell our listeners what you mean by that and, and how that applies? Yeah, and so I think maybe even a, without context, a better way to think about it is in terms of, of dynamic campaigns versus static campaigns, because I think this might even resonate more with the audience listening, is traditionally we've, we've done more static fundraising campaigns, which means we send out our fundraising appeals or communications based on the needs and timing of the organization. You know, every October we do our matching gift campaign <laughs> and we send it out. You know, and we always say, you know, we're not going to, you know, be able to continue operations as a nonprofit unless we raise 5000 or $500,000 by Thursday or whatever. It's all driven based on our needs and our timing. That's a static campaign. That can work in the short run, but it, it doesn't build long-term donor loyalty, like putting the donor at the center of their journey. And so to do that, you have to be more proactive listen to donors and run dynamic campaigns. So if somebody comes to your website and interacts with three or four pages on your website around malaria, that's probably a great time to communicate them with them about malaria, not wait until your malaria appeal comes up six months from now, right? And so you're literally listening to signals and sending out dynamic campaigns in real time based on donor needs. And so now you have rather than every donor getting the same piece, 
you have each donor based on their behavior and their persona getting the right thing at the right time. So, you know, different segments of donors are seeing different communications from your organization based on their needs. So that, that is sort of the difference between proactive and reactive. Okay, thank you. So let, let's let's stay on that for a second, because when I hear you say that, and I suspect some listeners will, will have this question as well, you know, for, a, for an organization that has six to 25 different programs, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, some of the organizations that are, you know, big federated organizations, maybe, or just really complex organizations. You know, when I think about having all of that content on demand, ready to go, it seems like a really heavy lift to, mm-hmm. to just get ready to start. It, is that true? Or, or, I mean, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so start small. It seems really overwhelming to hear it like that, but I would say start small. And so number one, if you don't have three core personas defined today, I would define those personas. And what, what, by that, I mean, what are the three types of people that typically give to your organization? Well, we have, you know, Cindy, the middle-aged mom, um, busy with her kids, but really cares about our adoption and foster care initiative. You know, we have, you know, Jim, the college student who's really into ad- advocacy and tweeting and what social change, but you know, it's probably not going to give soon, right? The, like you divide up your people into three chunks. Most nonprofits actually have a good amount of content and stories laying around somewhere. And so now you just take what you have today and assign it to each of those personas. So take a spreadsheet and put, you know, Cindy up top and underneath Cindy, you put the three bits of content you think would be most relevant for Cindy and that persona. And just start start there, right? And now when you get a new Cindy on file, she's through a survey or what she gives to, you kind of know who she is, use you know some appended social data or other outside public data and you figure out you know age range and that kind of thing. You're like, that's a Cindy, all right. We have an automated workflow that sends our three most relevant pieces of content to Cindy. And, and going through that process, I mean, it, it takes a couple of hours and some content mapping to do it, but it's, it's really not as hard as it sounds on its face. Just one, one more question and then I, I will let you go. It's late Friday and I'm sure that you, you got family stuff to get to, but you know, all of this sounds really fascinating, but for the listeners out there, I, I suspect some are gonna say, yeah, but talk about the results. Can you give us a couple of case examples from organizations that you've done this with? Yeah, um, we're, we're seeing amazing results. So people that are really implementing this well, we, we look at data across all of our customers with a focus on ones that are implementing these tactics. You know, and we see people drop, you know, on average, the ones that are implementing this are, are, are adding 15% to their retention numbers, right? So maybe wow. they're turning out you know, 76% after that first gift, you know, they're dropping that down to 60%. We're seeing, you know, by asking somebody for the right amount at the right time, by priming them with the right content first, we're seeing a 10 to 15 lift and percent lift and average gift for those folks. And so it shouldn't be shocking, right? Like if you treat somebody like a human, they're more likely (laughs) to give again. And so this is not, rocket science at all. But then when you start compounding, you know, a, a 10, 12% shift in retention first to second gift and a 10, 12% uptick in average gift, all of a sudden you look at the lifetime value of your donor spread out across three years and you're like, well, that, that moved the needle substantially, you know? And so it's working. I think the, the orgs that are making it work better. I mean, we've seen just through marketing automation, We've seen a lot of orgs that were trying to do this manually, 
you know, with just mm. staff, you know, communicate personally. And just through marketing automation, we've seen people that had a team of four only need one person to pull this off, which freed up the other people to actually call donors. And again, people will say, oh, marketing automation makes it so impersonal. No, <laughs> we want to take out all the busy work. And so the, <laughs> so your team can actually call people, you know, and have yeah. conversations. And so we're seeing real results. We, we see it work consistently. And I'll say even people that aren't on Virtuous, we have a bunch of folks that are like, hey, we're not going to change to Virtuous anytime soon. We're going to try to cobble together some other stuff, but we're going to implement these tactics. They're seeing great results as well. So it's been fun. That's interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. I, I actually have one more question. Do you see any difference in the way these behaviors change? You know, we talked a lot about sort of mid-level and lower level donors, but is the application have the same kind of impact for, for major donors as well? Yeah, I think the interesting thing with major donors is that I think as an industry, we've always done this pretty well, right? You, sure. you talk to major donor reps and they're like, you know, how did you get them to give another gift? Well, I got to know them. I figured out what they were interested in. I knew their kids' names. I knew they liked to eat Mexican food. I knew the right time of year to ask. I knew how much to ask for. And that went really well. That's why major donor giving continues to go up, right? Is that, I don't, yeah. it's super relational. And so I think on the major donor side, the one thing that does help a little bit is that when you have like software, web behavior, some of this stuff that can bubble up those signals for you, or to prompt you to do the right thing at the right time. It just helps you know, major donor reps move from their yellow legal pad to a more sophisticated model of following up, which helps, you know, it certainly helps, but it's not as transformative as it is for the low end of your file. Gotcha, okay, that makes good sense. All right, man, well, thanks for, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for talking to us about uh, responsive fundraising, what you guys are doing. If somebody who's listening wants to get in touch, wants to learn more, how do they get, to get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, virtuouscrm.com, and especially if you want to learn more about this stuff, go to virtuouscrm.com slash responsive. We have sort of a blueprint for responsive that you can download to get started. Um, we also just uh, launched a new hardback book, um, Responsive Fundraising, and you can find that on Amazon or Audible or wherever you buy your books. So, Awesome. Very cool. I'll link to all of that in the show notes too. Thanks a lot for being here, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.